Thank you, Brother Danny. Man, I love that song. I want to make much of you, Jesus. All right, kids, time for Children's Church this morning. Y'all have a great day. Look at all them kids going out. Let's give them a big hand as they head out to Children's Church, all right? I love those kids. I want to make much of you, Jesus. Man, what a statement. What a statement. We were talking Wednesday night about commercial faith. A lot of us have commercial faith if we're not careful. I'll do something for you, God, if you'll do something for me. And you know what? If he never does another thing, he's done all he needs to do. He died on the cross for us. And we want to do, we want to bargain with God. We want to set deals with God. God, if you'll do this, I'll do this. Or if you'll take care of this, I'll do that. Guys, don't bargain with God. Don't, don't have a commercial faith. Don't, don't be in this thing for what he can do for you. Be in this for what he's already done for you, and be in this to help others see the light of Jesus Christ. I want to make much of you. The reason he saved us was to make much of him, so that others could come to know him as Savior, so that the world could come to know Jesus Christ, to be salt and light to a world that desperately needed it. But what we've turned it into is, Lord, if you bless me today, I'll bless someone else. If you take care of me, I'll take care of someone else. And it's just a bargaining with God, and let's don't do that. Let's don't do that to God that has done so much for us. Amen? Amen. Acts 11. Acts 11 this morning. As we continue on, remember last week we had one of the watershed moments of the New Testament, probably one of the biggest moments beside the cross for us as, as people, as Gentiles. Anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. And we've seen last week that the door was kicked wide open to Cornelius and his family, and they were all saved and baptized, and it opened the door that all could come to know Christ as Savior. Up until this point in Acts, it had been the Jews, and then it went to Samaritans, and now we've seen that it had come to the Gentiles, and it was a, a, a banner day. It was a, a remarkable day, one of the biggest days in the history of the church. If that day doesn't happen, we're not sitting here this morning and enjoying the favor of man, enjoying the favor of God, uh, enjoying these things together. Because God opened salvation up to everyone. This morning, though, as Peter makes his way back to Jerusalem to kind of report and to celebrate what had happened in, in Cornelius and there at uh, Caesarea and then at, later at Joppa, um, they're, they're still trying to wrap their arms around this. The Jewish people are still trying to, to wrap their arms. And before we get too critical and too harsh on them, let's remember that they have been going by this law and going by the old book and going by the Old Testament, so to speak, for all their lives and for all their parents' lives and for the generations and generations before. All these, this has been their way of life. This wasn't just the religion. This is what was their way of life and, and keeping the law and, and doing what Moses had said and, and all those things. We talked about that in our class this morning with the young people. The, the law uh, is way different than grace. And he, was, he gave us the law to show us that no matter how hard we try, we can't be good enough to be saved. We cannot get to heaven with the law. The law shows us we have, we have inadequacies. The law shows us that we're flawed because of sin that came into man when Adam and Eve bit into the fruit. But what's great is Jesus Christ came and died for us on a cross. He paid our price, and he, he rose again, and he gave us a gift called grace. And grace is much greater. I asked the kids this morning, would you rather follow grace or would you rather follow the law? And they all said, I'd rather follow grace. 
And I better, I, I, I want to tell everybody, we better say amen to that. We better follow grace because we can't do it with the law. But we look here and the Jews and they're still trying to understand it all. Yeah, they know Jesus has came. They, they know that he's died. They know that the spirit fell at Pentecost and they've seen salvation of, of thousands of their countrymen. And, and now they've seen it moved out to Samaritans and they were kind of a, to the Jews, they were kind of a half-breed, and they didn't really like him very much. But Jesus saved them. And now, lo and behold, he's opened the door to the Gentiles. And they're just a bunch of old rogues and pagans, and they don't care about God. And, and this is all they've ever known. And so when Peter gets back, they said, we got to have a talk. they got to have a talk. And see, let's see what happened there in Acts 11, verse 1. First of all, we see... Uh, the acceptance of the Gentiles as they begin to think about it. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, the circumcised believers, that's just a a way of saying those that went by the law. All right, those that went by the old traditions. And there's nothing wrong with tradition, but I've noticed that, that Jesus does a lot about doing away with traditions a lot of times. All right, he's got a, a way that's his way. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. But uh, this happens to a lot of us. We come to know Christ and we've got our old ways, we've got our own beliefs, we've got our old things that we look at and different things. And it's hard for us, it takes us a while to adjust into what God's trying to show us. We see that a lot in the church today. We like certain hymns. We like certain songs. We like praise music. We like screens. We don't like screens. We like to have everybody have their Bible. We, all these kind of things are all these kind of things that we deal with and saying, well, they must not really have got it like I did. And we have to really be careful, guys, that we determine the difference between preference and what God says. All right? A lot of the stuff today that people are arguing over is preference. I have a preference. I like to worship at 11 o'clock. Some people now are worshiping at 8.30. Some are worshiping, uh, I've seen that the New Journey Campus in, in Jonesboro, that is a, a part of Central, they're going to have church at 9 o'clock on Tuesday night for the college kids. Now, me and you, that might not be our deal. At 9 o'clock, I'm ready to go to bed. But if you've ever been around teenagers, they're just getting cranked up about 9 o'clock. So, you see, it's different. In our day, we worshiped at 7 o'clock. Sometimes we worship, And all these different things, those are all preferences. What color the carpet is on the walls and what color the paint is and how much light we got. All that's preference. And that's what they were dealing with. That's what the Jewish people were dealing with was their preferences. It, wasn't, it just wasn't fitting into their mold. It wasn't the way they used to do things. We didn't do things like that before. And so we still see that going on in the church today. And they were criticizing him. What in the world are you doing with these Gentiles? So Peter, he's kind of like takes them to court. And he says, let me give you some evidence that this is of God and not just some whim, not some just kind of rogue thing idea that I had. This is from God. Let me give you some evidence of that. Verse 4, starting from the beginning, and Peter's going to tell the whole story that I told you last week, all right? So I'll read fast through there. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. First of all, he tells them about the vision. This is the first piece of evidence, his vision. His, it had been put in his heart. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. 
I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth and wild beasts and reptiles and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pull, pull, all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. Now, this is, this is where God put it in his heart. God give him a vision. Now, all of us don't see visions. All of us don't have a dream before God does something big, but he will put it in our heart some way through your prayer life, through something that's said from the pulpit, through something you hear in a song, through something that's said on the TV, through something that's said in Sunday school. God puts things in our heart. He puts things in our heart, and he says, I, I want you to do something for me. I want you to do something for me, and here's what I want you to do, and I'm going to show you how to do it. What I'm asking you, God says, what I'm asking you is will you be available? Will you go? And so here he was. He was showing, and, and Peter begins to tell them, guys, this is what God put on my heart. This is what I saw. This is what I saw, and this is how God moved me to go to where I did. So that's the first piece of evidence. The second piece of evidence is the witness of the Spirit. Listen to, to me. If, if God tells you to do something, the Holy Spirit's going to show up. The Holy Spirit will show up. And so it, it's kind of like a stamp of approval. It's kind of like, yeah, you're on the right path. If you do something and you think it, maybe you concocted it in your mind, and you go to do it and you don't feel the power of God working through that, if you don't see the Spirit moving in that, you might ought to revisit it. Because where God is, the Spirit's going to be, and he's going to be moving. He's going to be moving, and that's what was happening here with Peter. Verse 12, the Spirit told me, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. Now we know the number of the, how many went with him. Last week it just says he took some men with him, but he took six. He took six with him. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you have you and all your household will be saved. Now, remember last week how we talked about, man, Cornelius was a God-fearing man. He, he was one that kept the word. He was one that gave to the poor. But we talked about the biggest thing. He didn't know Jesus' Savior. You can do a lot of good things, but there comes a time where you have to be sorry for your sin. You have to accept what he did on the cross, believe that he died for you, believe that he rose again, and you have to believe that and ask him into your life and say, come into my life, and I want you to change my life. I want it to be different than it was before. So you just don't wake up one day and say, I'm a Christian. That's going on in the world today. A lot of people say, I'm a Christian. What they're saying is, I don't want to be a pagan, or I don't want to be a non-believer, but I'm a Christian. But just having that title doesn't make you a Christian. It says you must be born again. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must give your heart to Jesus. And so the Spirit is moving here. As I begin to speak, verse 15, the Holy Spirit came on them. And then he uses this, this, this thing to really convince them. Here's a great piece of the evidence of the Spirit. As he had come on us at the beginning... What's he talking about? The day of Pentecost. This is the only thing he could come up with that was close to that. And guys, that was a big day. 
all right? It don't get much bigger than mighty wind rushing through the place, and you look around, it looks like cloven tongues of fire on their head, and, and the Holy Spirit just moves over the people, and they begin to speak in different languages, and they begin to share the message, and it just doesn't get much bigger than Pentecost. But here Peter's saying, guys, I'm going to tell you, this was the biggest thing that I've seen, the biggest work of the Spirit since Pentecost. This is big. This is huge. And he said he had come on us at the beginning. And then he says, then I remembered what the Lord had said. Now, here's the third part of the evidence. First part is that he had the vision, that God laid it on his heart. Second part of the evidence was that the Spirit was moving. And the third evidence is it matched up with the Word. All right? Now, anytime God's moving, it better match up with the Word. Use this. I told our kids this morning, guys, get this book and just hold on tight to it. Guys, I'm telling you, it, it's getting scary out there. It is getting scary out there. I told them, I said, you're entering into seventh grade and, and going on up, and some of you are going into your last year of school, and some of these guys are heading off to college. A lot of, you, a lot of your parents, you moved your kids off to college. And, and, and listen, I'm telling you, there's a whole lot of people out there today, today saying this book doesn't mean anything anymore. There's a whole lot of people saying that what's in this book doesn't pertain to us anymore. And guys, that's a lie straight out of hell. That's a lie. This book means something. This book is real. This book is the truth. This book is the truth. What this book says is the truth today, just like it was yesterday. And guess what? It's going to be the truth tomorrow. And there's a whole lot of people telling us this book doesn't matter anymore, but it matters. And it's real. And it's the truth. And if God is asking you to do something, or somebody's asking you to do something, or somebody tells you something, you go in this book and you test it by this book. And when this book comes up and it says that it's okay, then you proceed. But if it doesn't say it's okay, it's wrong. It's wrong. I don't care. It's wrong. And that's what God says. That's not Todd Vincent. I have no authority to tell you anything other than what this book says. As your pastor, as a preacher, I can sit up here and spew things all day long. But if it doesn't say it in this book, you don't believe a word of it. This book is what I want to preach. This is why I switched a couple years ago and just started preaching word for word from this book. Because I want you to know what God's word says. What I say is not important, but what God's word says is very, very important. It's very important. And that's why we're going book by book, chapter by chapter. Because I want you to know what God's word says. And that's what, that's what Peter said. He said, then I remembered what the Lord had said. I remembered the word of God. John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. He said, I've seen it. I've seen the word come to pass. I've seen, it. I've seen that prophecy fulfilled. I've seen, I've seen the Spirit moving on the people. And he said it was great. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? Man, what a statement. He said, okay, here's the evidence I give you. All right, I've seen a vision. God laid it on my heart. I, 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 uh, I looked at it and I've seen the presence of the Spirit. I've seen God's word, and guys, I'm going to back up now and just say, look, if God's moving, I am surely not going to get in his way. And guys, that's something we all need to remember. Because there's a lot of times in churches across America today that God wants to move, but it doesn't fit my preference, or it's not the way we used to do it, or it's not the way that I like it the best, and we squelch that. We clamp down on that, and we say, nope, not going to change it on my watch. And guys, I'm telling you, and I, listen to me, you know my heart by now. I've been around here a long time. 
I'm not saying just to change things to be changing things. But I'm saying when we change something to reach more people for Christ, and this church has always been great at that. I'm not saying that you've liked every change that we've made, but you've always been supportive. You've always said whatever it takes to win someone to Christ, as long as it's in God's word, we'll back it, preacher. We'll back it. And you have done that. And I thank you for that from the bottom of my heart. There are so many churches in this world today that are fighting and fighting and fighting because of preferences, because of things that I, I want to do that I don't like the way they do it, and I don't like the way he does it, and I don't like the way she does it, and they just bop, 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 and all the time people won't even come in the door because they're too busy arguing with each other. And that's what's going on today, guys. They see us Christians arguing with each other, and they go, I don't want any part of that. And Peter says, look, who am I to stand in God's way? When God goes to working, Watch out. I'm going to back up because I can't do anything that God can't do 10 million billion times better than what I can do it. And he said, guys, I, that's all I can tell you. When God went to work and I just backed up and let him have his way. And I love that statement. May that be kind of a banner for our church. Let me read it one more time. It says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? May we never be guilty at First Baptist Kaiser of standing in God's way. Amen? Amen. Man, what a great thing. Now, this happened about 10 years after, okay? About 10 years after uh, uh, Paul had been saved, and now we're going to see that Paul's going to come back on the scene, all right? Remember his radical conversion on the road to Damascus, and uh, he went off to, uh, uh, to be taught by God for a while and, and to learn more. I think he was out evangelizing, evangelizing also. But now we kind of see a change in, in, the, uh, in the belief here. It says in 18, let me finish here. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They believed. And, and let's give them credit for that. This was so different than what they were brought up in. This was so different than what they understood. But, but Peter gave them evidence. He showed them that God was working here. This is of God, guys. And you know what they said? Okay. Okay. I'm fine with that. And that's huge to know. That's huge to know. They didn't say, nope, 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 nope. But they said, we're okay. We heard this. They had no further objections. And they praised God. This is of God. They celebrated with their brothers. Now, Let's go on to what happens in Antioch. Now, if you look at this chronologically, I know some of you are reading your Bible chronologically, and that's a big word for just reading it in order as it happened. This, these verses kind of probably happened before what we just read, okay? This happened, this is kind of like, you know, like you're watching a movie, and, and this is happening, and all of a sudden it kind of blacks out and takes you to a place somewhere else. It's going to kind of be somewhere else, all right? It kind of goes with it, but it takes you somewhere else as we move into this next part. The church in Antioch. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Now, you remember several weeks ago now, I think it was over in chapter 8, maybe 6 or 8, I can't remember, I should have looked it up, but 6 or 8, somewhere along in there, Stephen was stoned, okay? And, and after that, the, the persecution of the church broke out. And I mean, they just come, they wanted to kill anybody that was of the way. And this is kind of where Saul came in and doing all his thing, putting Christians, uh, putting new Christians in jail and, and all these things. And so they're kind of taking us back to the persecution story, the, the persecution side of the story. So he said, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word 
only among the Jews. But here's the thing. Somehow, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them that the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Antioch. Now, the biggest thing that we rem remember about this Antioch, this was the, uh, the capital of, of Syria or in that, those days. And, of course, Syria is all over the news right now. It's amazing to me that where these people ran to from persecution are some of the very same cities today in 2014 that are being persecuted. And so we look at this, and Antioch back in the day was the town to live in, all right? They had about a half a million people living there. And I mean, these people were affluent. They were rich. It was a beautiful city. They called it the Paris uh, of, this, of this area. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And I mean, they had a main street that was four miles long. And it says that all the street was laid with marble. Think about that. The street itself was made of marble. And then they had these big marble columns all the way down through there. Can you imagine four miles long? I think that would probably be from about out here at 140 all the way down to the, where we turn left or right to go to school. That's about four miles through there. But that was their main street. And it was all laid with marble. And it was, had these posts and pillars. And they were one of the only cities, they were the only city at that time in the ancient world that had street lights. Think about that. This place was so pretty, they wanted to light it up even at night. But guys, their heart was totally against anything that God had. They had all these statues and idols, and they worshipped all kind of things. One of their biggest statues was the goddess Daphne, and she was all kind of this weird sexual god that they used to fulfill all they wanted to do, you know, just weird, weird stuff. And it, it, it's amazing how people want to take their preferences and what they want to do, and they make them into a religion. Isn't it amazing how we do that? And that's what they did. And this, this town was, it was booming. But it was booming for the wrong way. But here, after they'd seen Sto Stephen give his life for Christ, after they'd seen Pentecost and the Spirit fall, they were so excited to go tell the good news of Jesus that when they walked into this city, they weren't intimidated hardly at all. And they began to tell people about Jesus Christ. They began to tell these these pagans and these unbelievers, what Jesus had done for them. And guys, as we just read, he says in, a, in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. As a matter of fact, revival was so big in this city that this is where Paul began to, this was his headquarters. He would go back there and he'd go on a journey. He'd go back there and go on a journey, back and forth, back and forth. This was his home base. God moved in such a way in this heathen city that it began to be a great, great place for God. And the church was huge there. It grew and grew and grew in this great, great city called Antioch. Now, let's move on. Verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, Barnabas was a great guy. We need a whole bunch of churches full of Barnabas. Let's read about Barnabas. It says, when he arrived and saw that the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Listen to me, guys. We've seen a lot of people come to know Christ this summer in our church. We've baptized several this summer. And one of the greatest things we can do as believers 
is encourage them. And encourage them is just what it says. And it says, to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. That's what Barnabas did. He said, guys, I see God moving. And he didn't go in there and say, oh. And, and can you imagine the difference in worship styles that Barnabas seen from Jerusalem to these Gentiles? I guarantee you these, Jew, these Gentile people were not worshiping the way they were in Jerusalem. And he didn't go in there and say, oh, 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 you're not doing it the right way. We don't sing those songs back at our church. Up, oh, we don't use that translation of the Bible back at our church. Up, oh, up, oh, you're not, up, oh, yeah, that's not right. What did he do? He said, I seen God was moving and I encouraged him. Remember, it's not about my preferences. It's about God moving. It's about God moving. And he said, I seen that. And he said, I, I just wanted to say he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. And it says this about Barnabas. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Just, just, you know, he went in there and just praised the Lord. He encouraged them. He was full of the Spirit. He was close to God. And he said because of his obedience, because of his serving, many, many people came to know Christ as Savior. Now, the thing, next thing he did, he said, first of all, he sees that God's working. He said, I need some help. And he remembered, he remembered a young man that he had went and, and befriended 10 years before. And he said, I need to go get Saul. I need to go get Saul. I know where he's at. He's in Tarsus. And I need to go and encourage him. I need to give him a job. I, I think, and, and I think where I fail as a pastor is trying to find our new believers jobs in the church. I, I read where Dwight Moody uh, every person that was a new believer in the church gave them a job to do in the church. He said it might have been handing out hymnals or it might have been, you know, it might have been some little job at first. But he said, I wanted everyone to know that they were important. He said, I, I'd rather give 10 men a job than one guy do the work of 10 men. And, and, and I wish I was a little better at that. I wish I could find a way to everyone that's a new believer to find them a position, to find them something to do in this church. Because I believe when we get in here and we get involved and we get something to do, I believe it helps us to take, and, and, and don't take this wrong, it, God is the owner. God is what, it helps us to say, this is my church. You know, you should never sit at home and say, you know, I don't like what they're doing down there at the church. Or you should never say, you know, the old church down there, that's your church if you belong here, if you're a member here, if you've been saved, this is your church. This is our church. Now, we know it's God's, don't get me wrong, but you should take ownership. You should want to do what this church is doing. You should want to be a part of that. And I wish we could find a way to get every new believer something to do. And that's what, that's what Barnabas was about. He was getting Paul something to do. He said, I've got to grow Saul. I've got to grow him up in the Lord. And he said, I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go get him. Let me finish. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, this was the first time we hear the word Christian. Now, the writer that I've been reading this week said you only see the word Christian three times in the whole New Testament. You know, we, we take that word, we cherish that word. 
But here was the first time they used the word Christian, and it, it was really a derogatory term. They were going, oh, you think you're a little Christ. You know, they look at the prophets, they looked at Barn, they looked at these new believers. And of course, remember the other part of the town is just pagan worship and all kind of crazy things. There's, there's black and white here, real big. He said, oh, y'all, you just think you're a little Christ. You think your little Jesus is running around. They kind of made fun of him, but the, the term stuck, and it began to be very important. Disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up, and though the Spirit predicted there would be a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world, this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, I want you to look at the difference here as we walk through this chapter real quick. At the beginning, the Jewish people were wondering if we should even accept the Gentiles. And now at the end, the Gentiles are turning back around, and they know that a famine's coming, and as each one could, as each one had the wherewithal, they gave an offering, and they asked Paul, uh, Saul and Barnabas to take this back to Jerusalem to help the Jews. Isn't that a great picture? That we're all part of the family of God. Now, you know, they could have said, well, they don't really look very highly on us. They don't think much of us. They think we're still kind of outcast, some of them. But they said, you know what? They're our brothers in Christ now. They're our sisters in Christ. We need to give something back to them. And they took up an offering, and they gave it back to them. They give it back to them. Let me read you a quote here that uh, Winston Churchill said, We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. They, they learned that real early. And guys, I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking, they gave money or they give whatever they had, but they, they give, they give to others. Giving to others. There's a blessing both in giving and receiving when God's grace is in control, amen? When God's grace is in control, it's blessed to give and receive because you realize where it came from. You realize that it's not about me, it's about God. You realize it's about making much of God. I want to make much of you. And that's what the early church was doing. They were making much of God. And it was just amazing to see God put this new church together and it was growing and doing wonderful things. Guys, may we treat each other like that. May we meet needs. May we be there to pray for each other. May we help each other be discipled. May we help our new Christians grow in Christ. May we pray and encourage and thank those that help us. May we do those things as a body of Christ so that the word and the kingdom and we can grow together. We grow each other together. That's the way God intended it. And you see a beautiful picture of that here in Acts 11. Let's bow together. Then, Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for just teaching us. Thank you for, for the church. Lord, what a, what a gift. I build on this rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for Christ that became the chief cornerstone. Thank you for the apostles and the disciples and the early believers that laid the foundation so that we could build on the solid rock. Lord, help us as a church to, to grow, to grow each other, 
to take part, to, to realize that anything we do for this body helps grow the kingdom. And Lord, help us to realize that. Help us not to just take church and help us not to take what you've done for us lightly. Lord, help us to make much of you. Lord, help us to be a wonderful part of, of a growing organism, a growing body here at the church. And Lord, we talk about First Baptist Kaiser, which is the one we're a part of, but Lord, we pray that the church, the church that someday will be in heaven together will grow because of our efforts here and the efforts in our county, the efforts in our state, the efforts, efforts around the world. Lord, I pray that we will be faithful. And Lord, I pray, just as Peter said to these people, and Barnabas encouraged them, stay close to the Word of God. Stay close to God in these days. Lord, just be with us now as we listen to you speak for just a few minutes. In your name we pray. Amen.